0: so good to be together and have this part of our worship in focusing on uh, our scriptures. As you can see, we're going to be focusing on the Lord's Church. Three questions about the Church of Christ. Three questions about the Church of Christ. Some people look at the Church of Christ and really don't look at it. They don't give it much of a thought. Others uh, look at the Church as simply another religious group of of similar value to any other religious group that you might see as you as you drive down uh, the road. Others look at the uh, Church of Christ as a group that is r- rather radical and extreme uh, in their views. But then there are others who look at the Lord's Church as a very important teaching in the Bible, a very important teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ, which it is, and. We look at this as an opportunity to get excited about our Lord. The more you look into His church and His plans and His words behind the church, then the more exciting it is to think about being a part of that wonderful institution. Three questions about the Church of Christ. It may be that as you listen this morning, that you find yourself not a Christian, not in Christ, perhaps been pondering the idea of salvation in the church and giving more, a more serious look at the whole aspect of, of religion. It could be that you are listening this morning and you at one time became a member of the Lord's church but perhaps through various distractions and temptations of Satan himself, that somehow you don't find yourself faithful to God. It may be that you're here and you want to do more for the Lord. Well, knowing about His church inspires us to do all we can for Him. Three questions. Question number 1 of course is how does one identify the church of Christ? How does one identify the church of Christ? Much like you would identify a person or an automobile or even your pet, you will give different descriptions of it, features of uh, your automobile for example. You might say, "Well, it's it's uh, what is it? Is it a, is it an SUV? Is it a, a sedan or is it a truck?" What color is it? is it? Is it black or is it, is it blue or is it tan? Uh, is it an older model or a, a newer model? Okay. Uh, does it have uh, any identifying feature like a cracked windshield or a fender bender? Okay. Uh, does it do like uh, one of our vehicles? Does, can you hear it squeak two miles down the road? You know, what are the features there? And, and same thing with identifying a person uh, in color of their hair, whether they're uh, slender or heavyset, or whether uh, they're older or um, whatever it might be, different features, different features. Same thing if you lose a pet. You know, oftentimes we'll see something posted or see a sign on a on a post somewhere. I've lost my pet. Here's here's the kind of uh, pet it is, kind of dog that it is, and color and and. Answers to the name of and different features. Now, if you ever used to watch uh, the show Happy Days, uh, Fonzie lost his dog one time, and he went on a search for it. And he, he, uh, they asked him to describe his pet. He said, "I drew a picture of him." So he got out a sheet of paper, and it was just a stick dog, just a. And so, we won't get very far with that. But there are different identifying features, and we're going to name seven of those, uh, seven of these uh, features. Just one way of breaking it down. You might break it down in a various number of ways. Uh, Feature number one is the rule of faith. Feature number one is the rule of faith. That's a huge part of identifying the church. The rule of faith, of course, is the pattern, the New Testament itself, the pattern for religion today, the New Testament Itself, And this pattern was formed around Jesus and the apostles. Jesus said to the apostles in John 16 and 13, When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, He said to the apostles, He will guide you into all the truth. All the truth. And Peter was one of those apostles. And Peter said in 2 Peter 1 and verse 3, That through divine knowledge they have been given all things that pertain to life, and godliness, all things, 2 Peter 1, 3. All things that pertain to life and godliness. And so we read in Acts 2 and 42 that the early church continued steadfastly in the, apostles, in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of the bread and the prayers. Notice this from Peter in 2 Peter 3, 1 and 2. Peter says, I want to stir up your mind, that you might remember the predictions of the holy prophets, and also that you would remember the commandments of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through the apostles. See that, 2 Peter 3, 2. The commandments of Jesus through the apostles. Now notice there in the same chapter, in 2 Peter 3, in verse 15, we account that the long-suffering, the patience of Jesus is salvation, even as, Peter says, even as our own beloved brother Paul wrote, according to the wisdom that was given to him. I want you to underscore that in your Bible if you you do any marking in your Bible. In 2 Peter 3.15, notice that Peter says, who was an apostle, speaking of Paul, who was also an apostle. He said, Paul wrote about the salvation of Jesus and he wrote according to the wisdom that was given him. And notice this in 1 Corinthians 14 and 37, Paul himself said, If, if anyone uh, considers himself to be a prophet or considers himself to be spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. The things that I write unto you, Paul, an apostle, said, are the commandments of the Lord. And so in those early days... The apostles by inspiration would preach and then by inspiration they would write these things down. And copies of these scriptures uh, got to be circulated around. We can read in Colossians 4.16, for example, uh, Paul said to the church there in Colossae, Colossians 4.16, he says, After you have read this epistle, uh, pass it on to those in Laodicea so they can also read it. These writings, these preachings, these teachings, these doctrines okay, were being copied down and even even before the New Testament became completed, the scriptures were being copied down and they were being circulated abroad. Why? Because the authority of Jesus was behind what was being said by the apostles. So the rule of faith is the pattern, the New Testament itself. Okay, Rule of faith. Now anytime in those early days that someone would uh, not teach in accordance with what the apostles were teaching, then they were branded as being false. For example, in Romans 16, 17, Paul said, Watch out for those who cause division divisions or create obstacles contrary to the doctrine which you were taught. Contrary to the doctrine that you were taught. Or listen to Paul in Galatians 1, verses 8 and 9, when he said, Though we or an angel from heaven come and preach unto you any other gospel than that which we are preaching to you, let that person be accursed. Okay. Let that person be separated. Let that person be condemned. And so the first feature, of course, is the rule of faith. Rule of faith. Rule of faith is real easy to see. We walk by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. But faith comes by the hearing of the word of Christ, Romans 10, 17. The second feature is unity. Unity. Unity is a combination of truth and love. Ephesians 4, verse 15. We speak the truth in love. That's what unity is. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 is really just an elaboration of truth and love. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 talks about all kinds of characteristics of love. Long-suffering and lowliness and patience uh, and forbearance with one another. And then... Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 4, talks about truth. There's one body and one spirit, even as you are called and one hope you're calling, One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. See, truth and love. Truth and love. It's not not a little love and a lot of truth. It's not a little truth and a lot of love. It is truth and love. The two are not really separate when you just get right down to it. You can't have truth without love of God. You can't have the love of God without the truth of Jesus. That's just the way it is. And so one feature of the Lord's church is unity. Ephesians, I I should say Acts chapter 4 and 32, says that the multitude of those that believed were of one heart and one soul, And neither said any of them that the things that they possessed were their own, but they had all things common. We remember this is really an answer to the prayer of Jesus, John 17, uh, 20 and 21, where Jesus prayed that the believers would be one as the Father and He were one, that they also all may believe in uh, Him through the words of the apostles and they all may uh, be one. The early church worked very hard uh, to fulfill that prayer of Jesus. So, the second big feature is uh, unity. Third big feature is organization of the church. The church is organized locally. Locally. Even though Jesus spoke of it in a very broad sense in, in uh, Matthew 16, uh, verse 18, when he said, Upon this rock, Peter, I will build uh, my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. But as far as a specific organization, it is organized locally. Locally, God has no organization of the church beyond the local uh, sense. We put in there Philippians 1 verse 1 where Paul writes to the church at, at Philippi and he mentions the bishops and the deacons and the servants and the saints. That's pretty much how you break down a local congregation that is striving to do God's will. Of course, all of this is under the authority of Jesus. Ephesians uh, 1, 22 and 23. We understand and we recognize that we fulfill our responsibility in the local chur- church through seeking to serve Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church. Okay? And uh, the church is his body. All right. So all we are servants, Matthew 23 and verse 8. He is the master. There's only one master. And we are all servants. So... Whether uh, we fulfill the role of a bishop or a deacon or a saint or a servant, whatever it is that we're doing, we're all striving to serve Jesus and to be like Him. So an important feature is the organization. And then also the worship of the church. John four twenty four, Jesus said, God is spirit and those that worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. And we read in the New Testament that's exactly what they went forward to do. Is the worship in spirit and in truth. And that, another feature of the church is the terms of membership. And we'll be talking about that more in just a moment. The terms of membership. That's an important feature of, uh, of the church of Christ, the Lord's body. Okay. And then the next one is the mission of the church. Jesus gave us the mission of the church. He did it by example. Uh, Luke 19, verse 10, it says, The Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. So we, we as the body of Christ, we do what our head is doing, and that is, uh, He came to seek and save the lost, and He gave us the same mission. Because He gave us the Great Commission. Mark 16, 15, going to all the world and preach the gospel. And so the mission. And then various descriptions of the church from the standpoint of Christ and the fact that He built the church and that he died for the church, sometimes the church is called the church of Christ, Romans 16, verse 16. From the standpoint of the Lord God Almighty who planned the church and prophesied about it way back in Old Testament times and brought it to fruition in New Testament times, then sometimes the the church is called the church of God, 1 Corinthians 1, 1 and 2. From the standpoint of the fact that the church is a family of God, 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul refers to the church as the house of God, the church of the living God, the house of God. From the standpoint of the fact that we often worship together as the Lord's church, Ephesians 2.21 mentions the church being the holy temple in the Lord. So the church has various descriptions. 1 Thessalonians 1.1 and 2 just simply calls the church the church, the church. Because the church is the called out body of Jesus Christ our Lord. All right. And so we see here there are various descriptions. So these seven features, these seven features are a way of looking at how you identify the church of our Lord. And so when you look at it as a rule of faith, being the New Testament pattern. And then you see that it needs to be uh, there needs to be a great deal of truth and love and unity involved. That's another identifying feature. And then you see there that the organization of the church is important, as well as worshiping by truth is important. And the terms of membership and the mission of the church, and of course, these various descriptions are given. The second question this morning is: How does one enter? How does one enter the church? Of Christ. Entrance is important because Jesus there in Matthew 16. As he was speaking to Peter and the other apostles. He said I will give unto you Peter the keys. The keys of the kingdom. And so implied there is it's important to know how to enter. How to get in. Peter himself says in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. That at one time you were not a people. But now you're the people of God. At one time you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so entering the Lord's church is, uh, is huge. It's huge. And so notice here that we enter the church of Christ the same way one is saved from his sins. We enter the church of Christ the same way that one enters or, or that one is saved from his sins. We say that because what we read in Acts 2 and 47, in those early days, the Lord added to the church those who were being saved. We don't add ourselves to the church. But the same process that saves us from our sins is the process that adds us to the church. The Lord saves us from our sins, the Lord adds us to the church. And this goes along with what Paul says in Ephesians 5 and 23. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he's the savior of the body. Those who are saved, all the saved, and nothing but the saved, are part of the body of Christ. Okay, so when you ask the question, how do, I be, how, do I have, how do I receive salvation from my sins, then you talk a lot about the membership of the Lord's body. Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, as he gave the Great Commission, He who who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that doesn't believe will be uh, condemned. Notice that. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He just lays it out there so we can just read it with a great deal of comfort and ease. And it's interesting that they went forth and preached the gospel and read about these happenings in the book of Acts. Acts 18, verse 8, they were in Corinth. Paul was... And it says, in response, many of the Corinthians hearing, believed, and were baptized. See how, you see how almost verbatim what Jesus said to do. They went and did, and then their response was exactly what the Lord wanted. And so when the Corinthians hearing, believed, and were baptized, then they were added to the church. When the eunuch, Acts chapter 8, was baptized, Acts 8, 36 to 38, he was added to the church. When Lydia and her household, Acts 16, 11 through 15, were baptized, they were, they were automatically added to the church. When the Philippian jailer, Acts 16 and verse 30, when he and his household were baptized, they were added uh, to the church. Okay, so it's one way of seeing it. And then also, one enters the church of Christ, the same way they did on the day when the church was first established. One enters the church of Christ the same way they did on the day when the church was established. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. Peter, being given the keys of the kingdom, is able to stand up and preach with inspiration on that day. We read that Peter and the rest of the apostles were standing up and preaching to the crowd there, beginning about Acts 2 and verse 14 preaching about Jesus, how he was a man approved by God, by his wonderful deeds and wonderful works, Acts 2.22. His death was not an accident per se. It was was part of the foreknowledge of God and how that um, by wicked men's hands, Jesus was uh, crucified and this was fulfillment of prophecy. In fact, several things were fulfillment of prophecy. Not only was his death but also was uh, his resurrection, even in his ascension, and, and being exalted at the right hand of God was all part of prophecy that God had foretold. And so getting down to Acts 2 and 36, Peter said, let, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. So many believed this. In fact, it says in Acts two thirty-seven, they were pricked in the heart and said, What shall we do about our sins? Peter responded, Repent ye and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We read in Acts 2.41 that those that gladly received his word were baptized, and there were they were added unto them that day about 3,000 souls. So the same way that One's became members of the Lord's body on the day of Pentecost is the same way you enter the church of Christ now. And then also, one enters the church of Christ the same way you become part of God's family. The same way you become part of God's family because the church is the house of God, 1 Timothy 3 and 15. Then that's the way you become a member of the church of Christ. Jesus talked about becoming a member of of God's family when he talked about the spiritual new birth. John 3, 3-5. through 5. When we undergo the new birth process, we're born of water and the Spirit. Water referring to the baptism and Spirit referring to the Holy Spirit who brought his words to Peter and the other apostles. The same words that we have now in the New Testament. Those words. And so by the Spirit's words we learn much about the salvation process and we undergo a spiritual rebirth and we are made part of God's family in that birth. In Galatians chapter 3 26 and 27 Paul says we are all the children of God by the faith of Christ Jesus in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ did put on Christ. Notice how similar this is to 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 For by one Spirit are you all baptized into one body. Of course, the body is the church, and the church is the house of God. So, one enters the church of Christ through the same process in which he would receive salvation from sin. Through the same process that they encountered on the day upon which the church was first established, and the same process through which one becomes a part of God's family it's the same process in which one becomes a member of the church of Christ. As the church was then, so the church should be now. The church now, as it was then, that's our plea to the world. That's, that's our message to everyone. Okay. It's, a, it's a restoration plea. And the basis of our plea is the fact that Jesus promised Jesus promised the apostles that they would be guided into all the truth. So there it is in the New Testament. We want to call people back to those same teachings, those same doctrines, those same principles. The church now as the church then. If we do what they did, we become what they became. And we'll be able to receive what they received, which entails forgiveness of sins, hope of eternal life, and a strong purpose upon which to live today. The third question is, how is the Church of Christ reproduced on earth today? We can see it has a lot of teaching behind it. How can it it be reproduced? Well, God has a law of reproduction. And he set this out from the early days, even in creation. So let's notice this uh, carefully here. God first creates by miracle. And then he reproduces by the law of the seed. This happened early on as he created the world. He brought the plant kingdom to the earth first by miracle. But he put in those plants seed. So that now those same plants are all over the world. Because the seed of those plants are planted all over the world. And the same way in the animal kingdom. God first brought animals to the earth by miracle. By by direct creation. But now animals are reproduced. Because of the seed that's contained in them. And the same thing with that first human pair. God created directly. Adam and then Eve. But we're not created that way today. But through natural processes. Through the seed contained in human beings. So humans are reproduced. So it is. So it is. In the spiritual kingdom. So. Notice in the plant kingdom, miracle, and then the law of sowing a seed. Notice in the animal kingdom, miracle, and then the law of sowing a seed. Notice in the human family, miracle, and then the law of sowing a seed. Notice in the spiritual kingdom, it all comes down to the seed. Now, at first, there's, there were miracles involved. The Holy Spirit came in a miraculous fashion upon the apostles to reveal the truth, the seed. So they would have the seed to share with people there on the day of Pentecost and then throughout all their travels. Okay. So first by miracle and then by the more natural process of sowing the seed of the kingdom. That's why Jesus speaks of it in Luke eight, eleven, and 12 that the gospel, the word of God is the seed. The sower went forth to sow. He sowed his seed. When we sow the seed and when we plant the Word, when we teach the Word, we are sowing the seed of the kingdom. And that's how people come to know the truth. And that's how the Lord's church is reproduced. Wherever the gospel goes, where sin has gone must go His grace. The gospel is for all. Wherever the gospel goes, that's that's the seed. And where that seed is planted, in good and honest hearts, then the Lord's church can be reproduced anywhere. It's a beautiful, beautiful thought and planned by our God. And then notice this, the seed always bears after its own kind. That's an early teaching from Genesis 1, 11 and 12 as the creation account is being brought to us that whether you're talking about the plants or the vegetables or the fruit, the seed also always bears after its own kind. Okay. Now, The tragic thing is when it comes to spiritual seed, much of what is sown today in the name of our Lord Jesus is not pure seed, is not pure seed, is not what we have discussed so far today. It's much different than what we have laid out from the scriptures today. And that is, many are asleep to this fact. But see, Jesus warns about this in Matthew 15, 7 through 9. He said, many draw near to me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Why is that? Because they teach as their doctrines the commandments of men, and their worship ends up being in vain. But notice that the seed is not pure when it is mixed with human emotions, human teachings, and human doctrines. And then, if you don't have pure seed, what do you have? Well, you have religious groups popping up everywhere that bear no resemblance to the church of the New Testament. And so notice the words of Jesus in Matthew 15, 13. He says, Every plant which my Heavenly Father has not planted shall be what? Let me say it again. Every plant which my Heavenly Father has not planted shall be rooted up. So that's why we have such a huge part in all this. God has the biggest part. But we have a part. And let me say this about our part. There's no other part. There's no other part to our our plan. There's no plan B. Unless we sow the seed, then the church of Christ will not be reproduced and salvation will not go. Where it needs to go. Acts 8 verse 4 we read. Those that were scattered abroad. Went everywhere preaching the word. They were scattering the seed. So you notice Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 3. 6 through 9. He said I planted Apollos water. And God gave the increase. He that plants is nothing. He that waters is nothing. But God gives the increase. You want to know your value? Look in the mirror and see a big zero. You're nothing. I'm nothing. God gives the increase. But I tell you what, if we want to please God, we'll be sowing and scattering the seed. As Paul says in Second Timothy chapter two and verse two, the things, Timothy, which you have heard from me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. These three questions, we could ask a lot of questions about the church of Christ. How do you identify the church? How do you enter the church? How is the church reproduced? Can at least get us started, at least get us started on a great study of the Lord's church. We didn't make up the term church, we didn't create the act of baptism. It is there in Scripture and we must respect what the Scripture says. Think with me just a, another second. Here, here's another vantage point on that question. How does one enter the church of Christ? Well, think about the attitude involved. Okay, Jesus, speaking to his apostles one time, Matt. Uh, Matthew 18, 1 through 4. He called in their midst a little child. He said, except you humble yourself, as this little child, you can't be part of my kingdom. We enter the kingdom with a humble attitude. We we try to put away everything we've ever heard. And with open heart and a humble heart, we enter the kingdom. Those that entered the kingdom, here's another attitude to keep in mind. Those that entered the kingdom in those early days, they entered the kingdom with a great deal of zeal. So excited about what they have learned. So excited about what they have received. They couldn't wait to be able to share it with others. That's the essence of the church. Whatever else that we do, whatever else that we announce, that's the essence of the church. Let us hold hold dear to it. Let's let's hold it close to our heart. If we can help you in any way, with any spiritual need this morning, please make that known right now as we stand together, as we sing.